Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danahy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. Hearts getting torn from your mistakes. Monday morning, new media poll came out, and a new team tops the top 20. The Yale Bulldogs out of New Haven, Connecticut, are the new number one team in the country in NCAA Division I men's lacrosse, followed by number two, Notre Dame, number three, Brown, number four, Denver, and number five from College Park, the Terps, Maryland. We're going to do the show just a little differently this week. We're actually going to take all the uh, tiers or the records of each of the top 20 teams and break them down that way. So we'll talk about the undefeated teams, the one loss, two loss, three loss, four loss teams, and we'll briefly talk about outside looking in. Mm -hmm. But in general, how do you feel about the top five? Do you think that is a represent, you know, a good representation of the top five in lacrosse right now? I do. So you don't, you don't think in general there should be any other team that could or should be in that top five um you know it's it's debatable i think this is probably probably the right five um i would still argue that denver is this is the best team in the country um and i know that we're going to get into this a little bit but you know just looking at the record alone you got you know yale and brown as the two lone undefeated teams right now so you know should notre dame be in between them i you know i don't know if it, nobody's beaten yale or brown yet uh, so tough to not have them in some sort of order of one and two. Uh, Notre Dame should absolutely not be ahead of Denver. There's no question about that when you look at Yeah, that's weird. I don't understand that at all. Well, I mean, it's just, I, under, it's, I mean yeah, there's yeah. no way. It just comes – I mean, basically it's the fact that Denver lost this weekend and Notre Dame won. Uh, but, again, I, I just – I don't think that that's, that's where they should be. Uh, I, I right. just, you know – I don't think it's right. Well, let's let's break it down, AT. The only two undefeated teams, Yale at number one, Brown at number three. Who's the strongest out of those two and why? All right. So clearly I love Brown and I hate Yale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in my opinion, I really believe that Yale's win over current number five, Maryland – uh, with no other top 20 wins, the closest is probably this past weekend versus Princeton, I still think a win over a top five team trumps two wins over two top 20 teams, neither of which are in the top 10. So Brown's biggest wins are obviously Stony Brook and UMass. Stony Brook ranked number 12, UMass ranked 19. Uh, you know, And Yale's biggest win is, is over number five, Maryland. So even though Brown gets ripped for having a softer schedule uh, i could actually say i think brown has actually played a tougher schedule to this point right but no one as tough as maryland 
but the fact that Yale beat Maryland so definitively when they did play them, and Maryland has proven that they are a top-five team in the country, especially in the last three weeks, I would say that it's right to have Yale ranked ahead of Brown. Uh, do you actually think, though, do you actually think that Yale is a better team than Brown? No, Yale versus Brown. Right. I don't. So I don't. explain I think, a little bit about I that. I think that both coaches are two of the very best coaches in the country. Um, I think that Brown is a more complete team than Yale. And even though Yale has a bigger win to date, I think Brown would be the scarier team to play. I think Yale Brown's better in the goal. Brown's better at the face-off X man for man. Brown's better on the wings. I think Brown's attack is better. Uh, there's no question that Yale's team defense is better. Yale has beaten Brown, uh, you know, pretty. I, I can't remember the last time Brown actually beat Yale. I mean, that's that's how many times Yale's beaten right. Brown. So just based on the you know the recent head-to-head contests and the fact that Yale has a bigger win than Brown has. You have to rank Yale ahead of Brown, but I think Brown wins this game on the 16th when they play in two weeks. And I think that I Brown is the more complete, and I think Brown is the better team. But they got to go out and they got to prove it. they got to get over the mental hump, and that's a big part of it, particularly for right. players that are you know, juniors and seniors and guys that have been you know, three-year starters, four-year starters for Brown. They haven't beaten Yale, and they gotta, they got to try to beat them at home, and Yale's coming in higher ranked. So I actually like right. the fact that I think it sets up well for Brown to beat Yale. With Brown being, you know, a few slots below Yale, and I think that Brown's the better team, but they're going to have to go prove it. I think Yale is justifiably ranked ahead of Brown, considering, you know, all of those sort of subjective factors. I, I agree there. I do think I agree much like you do on all of uh, the stats in terms of which team is better. Um, I, I because I typically rank teams based on who I think is just better. Period, regardless of who they beat and who they haven't. I mean, it's not Brown's fault that they haven't played Maryland. You know, it's not necessarily well, it sort of is. Yeah, you know, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess. But I mean, you could also say that you know, they, sure they could have they could have scheduled a lot harder. But I'm not gonna like penalize Brown per se for scheduling the way they do, especially the way Yale schedules, which is. They put Maryland in there and then everyone else is a joke. Right. You know, so it, it, it goes both ways. Um, you know, you could argue that Stony Brook should be a little bit better ranked than they are right now. I mean, I'd argue against it. Right Actually, I'd argue against it. And I think they're a scarier team. I think they're they're enthralling to watch and they're scary offensively. But as a team and what they've done, I would argue that they are absolutely not the rank worthy of a 12th ranked, you know, a 12th ranking. I don't, I don't think that's justified. We'll get into it, though. Yeah, we'll get into that. Let's go. Let's move on. Certainly, uh, we're both in agreement that Yale won uh, Brown three, uh, certainly in the top five, those two teams. They've done a great job to a year point. Let's move on to the one-loss teams. There are four of them. Notre Dame, Denver, Villanova, and Towson. Uh, this past weekend, Villanova pounded Fairfield. Towson pounded Binghamton. So nothing crazy there other than them continuing to do what they normally do. But Notre Dame had a one-goal win against Ohio State, and certainly we all know the biggest upset of the weekend was, to by far, Penn State going into Texas, beating Denver 15-10. to 10. Right. Uh, what? Who is the strongest out of here? And obviously you've already kind of preluded, you know, alluded to Denver still being the number one team in the country. But out of this one-loss team group, four teams, who do you think is the strongest? Well, this is, these, these are clearly screwed up, okay? <laughs> you've got... Notre Dame ranked the highest out of this group, then Denver, then Villanova, then Towson. 
I think that clearly, based on their body of work, DU should be ranked where Notre Dame is, worst case scenario, but they're definitely the, they should be ranked the highest out of these four groups, right? They have head to head win over Notre Dame, first and foremost, just two weeks ago. Right. 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 That's number one. Number two, they've also beaten number 11, Duke. They've beaten number 14, Air Force. They've beaten number 17, UNC, with only one loss, and that coming to number 18, Penn State, who's played great as of late, but is still considered a top 20 team at this point with their win over DU, right? Right. Then you've got Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a great high-quality win over number five, Maryland, but they lost head-to-head to DU, yep. right? They haven't beaten any other ranked opponents aside from Maryland. Right. They have near losses to unranked Virginia, unranked OSU. Uh, you know, they've done great in years past, but I think that they are writing the fact that they've been in final play in a final four weekend, you know, three of the last four years or whatever it may be. That's coming into play and affecting the way this team is ranked this year based on its body of work, right? right. Then you've got Towson, who has a win over number 15, Loyola, a loss to number nine, Hopkins. And a near loss to OSU, but near wins and near losses doesn't really matter. If they're unranked, sure. it doesn't matter, right? So sure. they essentially have a win over 15 Loyola and a loss to number nine Hopkins. They've played the softest schedule out of those three, so justifiably should be ranked behind DU and behind Notre Dame. But they should be ranked ahead of Villanova. Villanova's only quality top 20 win is number 18 Penn State. right? And they also lost to unranked Harvard. So they actually technically have a bad loss if you can define a bad loss as a team ranked outside the top 20. Towson has no bad loss. Notre Dame has no bad loss. And DU has no bad loss. So it should be DU, then Notre Dame, then Towson, then Villanova. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I, I, I do think, though, that Villanova carries a little bit of weight. I think Paul Modesso and his ability to control possessions of the game is something a lot of people are looking at, being like, you know, when when you see Denver and the way they are, um, you see Brown and the way they are, uh, you look at Villanova and say, well, listen, let's just get them the ball. If we can get the Fercaro brothers the ball, we're gonna they're going to win a lot of games this year. And I, I don't disagree with that. I don't actually don't disagree with anything you said. I, you know, Notre Dame, let's just take Notre Dame, for instance, because I do think that at least if you're going to switch anything, you have to switch Denver and Notre Dame. Notre you Dame wins to. the third quarter against OSU. They, they, they hold them four to, four to nothing in the, in, in, uh, in the third quarter, hold off a fourth quarter run by OSU. But listen, Notre Dame is 40% of the faceoff backs and 20% shooting in that game. But if you look at year-to-date statistics for Notre Dame, they're 47% on the EMO, which is awesome. But they're 20%, 28%, excuse me, in shooting. They're scoring 10 goals a game. You know, more than half of those total goals are assisted, which is a good thing. But we always talk about their defense, which is phenomenal. Six and a half goals against, you know. But, but the reality is, is 52% face-off as a season to this point. 89% in the clear, which is great. And then certainly 26% in the ride, which is really, really good. Yeah. And they have five guys with double-digit scoring. You know, I look at this, and I just don't see them competing with Denver, even if they played them again. And I know you mentioned that you thought that Notre Dame was going to beat them had if they see them in a the national championship. We both think that Now with DU teams... losing to Penn State, now I think DU wins again. Right, right. That's the problem. Right. You know, right. I just, Notre Dame hasn't played a tough enough schedule. We don't have enough data right. points to say Notre Dame, you know, is uh, they, they beat Maryland, they lost to DU. 
right? right? And they haven't played anybody else. I just it just concerns me that their ability to not you know handle the possession game, especially forty percent of the faceoff backs, certainly against OSU, which allowed them to come back. Uh, OSU make it close. Uh, Ten goals a game isn't going to get it done. I don't think. I mean, it's proven year in and year out that defense don't win championships in men's across. They they don't. I mean, it's it's the goal scoring and. You know, DU controlling the faceoff backs like they have. They're at 39% shooting. They're 66% of their goals are assisted. Uh, they're at 66% on the faceoff backs. Now they're 82% in the clear, but the last, I think, three games have been 100% in clearing. So mm-hmm. I think they're they're generally getting better there. We know they don't ride because they don't really care about riding. They just want to play six-on-six defense. You know, the, the one thing that we can look at in that DU game is more of an anomaly by anything else. Look at it. Statistically, they had a good game. They shot over 30%. They cleared it 100%. 12 turnovers isn't that bad. I'm sure for, you know, Tierney, he wants his turnovers to be a little lower, maybe around 10. But who cares? That's two possessions you lose. They were over 50% at the faceoff X. You know, 42% in the cage. You know, that's an anomaly. And then certainly Penn State scoring, I think it was like 46%. You know, we'll get to them in a minute. But I'm not worried about DU at all. And, you know, like you said, now that they lost to Penn State, you can mark this down. Do they lose again? They might lose to Villanova. They, they might. They might. They might. Man, you know. But, but I don't think they do. And I think they run the table all the way through for Tierney's eighth national championship. But I am worried about Notre Dame in this grouping of four uh, in a sense that they are Notre way Dame, too Notre high. Notre Dame doesn't shoot well enough. They don't shoot they well don't, enough. They don't. they don't. They play the best, arguably the best six-on-six six defense in the country. I think yeah, they I have. Probably the best defensive coordinator in Bernsey, um, you know, uh, and and clearly they are a model for every lacrosse program everywhere at that right. end. And I would even right. say in the ride as well. But Correct. they're not a disciplined shooting team, and they no. don't win faceoffs. If you took, you know, a, a top-notch faceoff guy and you stuck him on Notre Dame, and then you said, "All right, we got a guy that's going to win seventy percent." And we play that level of defense. Now I would say Notre Dame can dictate the outcome. They'd be unstoppable. They that, that's right. That, that, yeah. Then you can. Then they could get away with being undisciplined shooters and still have enough of an advantage in possession time to to make up for that and win. I just don't think they shoot well enough for how unsuccessful they are at the faceoff X, regardless of how good their defense is. Matt Cavanaugh is twenty percent shooting on the year. As an attackman, how do you how do you have that as an attackman? I always feel like as an attackman, you should be shooting forty percent. Says says one of the greatest midfielders of all time, wishing he played attack. And be like, give me the damn ball, just give me the ball. I would have shot forty percent. Certainly not your freshman year, at but you would have shot forty percent. I'm sure if you but played my attack freshman year, I think I shot twelve percent. To be honest with you, everything was off page, and I was acting like I just missed. But the reality is, I had no idea where I was going. But you mentioned earlier in the year, you said I said, listen, I think Kavanaugh is legitimately hurt and I think that there are a lot of problems him you know physically with him and you had mentioned hey listen I'd take an 80% Kavanaugh of course he's still going to play I mean he's not going to get taken off the field but his injuries are affecting the offense and that and that you know in that system and it's it's obvious that that it's hurting them I I don't I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree with you look he's hurt if he's hurt and let's face it everybody's a little bit hurt but I'm watching them play, and the amount of sidearm, underhand shots that miss the goal are off the charts. You're telling me that if he was healthy, they would all of a sudden be on goal? 
Sorry. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think the fact is he drops his hand, he whips it, he goes for the corner, and maybe they're saying, you know what, shoot for the corner, and if you miss it, we'll get it back, and that could very well be the case. But if you're looking at you know, goal scores, the amount of high-quality shots that are available to him that he shoots undisciplinedly is is part of the reason why they don't get it done on the offensive end. Same thing with Perkovic, right? He steps up, he scores big-time goals at huge times. Does that more so than anybody else in the country, right? From 20 yards at UVA in overtime. But, but the right? fact is, is, you know, if he's got 10 shots, you could pretty much count on eight of them being high. And he periodically overpowers a goalie high, and everybody goes, wow, six shot. You know, but the, re, but, but the, the fact is, is that if you really want to score – you're going to get it on goal. You're going to make the goalie have to move to save it. You're going to marry it up with a quick release. And if you're really, really good, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll weave in an element of deception as well. But if you do that, you're wearing a Denver jersey, not a Notre Dame jersey. <laughs> Fact. Let's move on. Let's move on to the two lost teams. This is the biggest group out of all of them, of course. You've got Maryland, Syracuse, Albany, Stony Brook, Navy, Air Force, Army, and BU. In that order, ranked in the top 20 um, you know, it's a big group of two lost teams in this. And because of the parity this year, it's probably one of the most, the biggest groups, I don't know, in the last 10 years, how many two lost teams have we seen in the top 20 in our lifetime, uh, that are ranked high Maryland at five, Syracuse at seven, Albany at 10, uh, Stony Brook at 12. Um, and whether or not you agree with this ranking and, and where they fall, uh, what do you, who do you think is the strongest? Obviously, I think Maryland, and I know you're going to say that too, but who do you think the strongest of this group in this two-loss team group is? Okay, so you look at that group. To me, you've got four teams that separate themselves from the other four. And in order, I got Maryland first. They got wins over number 10, Albany, number 17, UNC, with losses to only number one, Yale, and number two, Notre Dame. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're clearly the best out of that top four group, yeah. right? Then you've got behind them Syracuse. They've got wins over number 10, Albany, number 15, Army. They have overtime loss to Hopkins, number nine, and number 11, Duke. Two overtime losses, right? Sure. I got Maryland ahead of Syracuse simply because their losses are to better teams, right? higher-ranked programs. Then you've got Albany with wins over 19 UMass. They destroyed them, and they beat number 12, Stony Brook, right? So slightly lower-quality wins, but two top-20 wins. And then they've got losses to number 7, Syracuse, and number 5, Maryland, okay? So you could potentially say, uh, you know, that they could compete with Syracuse except for the fact that Syracuse beat them head-to-head. So they're behind Syracuse, right? right? Then you've got Navy, which is the last of the first four, and they got wins over number 14 Air Force, number 16 Loyola, losses to number 9 Hopkins and number 20 BU. Okay, so I got them behind Albany simply because their losses are to 9 and 20, where Albany's are to number 5 and number 7, right? right. So in that order, Maryland, Syracuse, Albany, and Navy. Navy. Then out of the next group... I have Air Force next. They got a win over number 11, Duke, and they have losses to number 14, Navy, and number 4, DU. Not, not, about, not, too, too, nope. not bad not at losses, all. right? Not at all. Then behind them, you've got Army that has a win over 19, UMass, and, you know, and, and losses to Syracuse and then unranked Rutgers. So they're obviously going to be behind Air Force. Their win isn't as good, and their losses are uglier. 
Followed closely behind them, you've got BU. They have a win over Navy head-to-head, but Navy's ranked ahead of them because they also have two top 20 wins, Air Force and Loyola. But BU has a win over number 14 Navy, but losses to unranked Bucknell and unranked Hartford. Hideous. Yeah, right? really bad. Really then, bad. then we bring up Stony Brook, which we both were a fan of, and, I'm, and they're a very scary offensive team. The reality is no wins over any top 20 teams. Losses to number three, Brown, and number 10, Albany. But they don't have any wins, so how can they possibly be ranked ahead of these other teams? So that's the way I think that this shakes out this group. Really interesting thought process there. I, I like how, I mean, a lot of people take in the RPI and, you know, all the strength of schedule and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the reality is, I mean, when you have a, like, a league or a year where the parity is so high, you kind of have to take it the way you're looking at it in terms of, all right, who do they want and who do they lose to? I mean, that's really it. You know, let's take the top two teams, though. I, I'm still just not sure what to think of Syracuse. Um, you know, if you reverse, everyone always likes to say, if you reverse the two one-goal OT losses, which are the last two games that they played against Duke and against Hop, right? And they're right. one. Yeah. They're number one. Well, but then you'd have to go back and reverse the two wins that they won by a goal, which is Army and UVA. And then yeah. where are they? And so, you know, if you're going to do one or the other, obviously the thing that you mentioned, you keep mentioning all the time, and I, I 100% agree, as soon as you neutralize Ben Williams – this team loses. They lose yeah. flat out, and they've lost the last yeah. two in runs, yeah. too. While Even yeah. while they set the pace, they lost in runs. And so I'm just – I'm really not sold on Syracuse. I'll give them the number seven. That's fine. I mean, based on the rankings and the way they're currently working, I just don't see their top five team like Maryland. Um, but I, I'm just really confused as to think about Syracuse, given their situation so far. Right. Maryland, on the other half, look at I, th- I think they're going to be an incredibly tough team to play this year, much I like agree. they were last year. I think they win the Big Ten outright. I don't think that Jay uh, Hopkins will be able to handle the mind games that they'll play on both sides of the ball. I know that they're patient as any team on the offensive end. They're so, but they're they, so, com- they're so complete, too, right, you know. Right, their right. offense pl- is, plays a great style of play that complements their defense. Now, you know, Nobody's a f- fan of watching Maryland's offense. I am. But the, I but am. Goal, I love it. I well, love the goal, it. The goal is to win the game. Right. And the way that they play offense complements the way that they play defense. Now, I would argue that, listen, they play a very disciplined defense, and they don't let up any goals. Why not push it and run in transition? You know, but the fact is, is that they force teams to play a lot of defense, and then they wear them out over the long haul with everybody except for Yale. They couldn't do that, too. But they are, like Brown, Perhaps, you know, you know, them and Brown are two, maybe the two most complete teams out there when you factor in, you know, goaltending, the faceoff group, close defense, and their offense. You know, they don't have a weak spot to their team. They really don't. And, uh, you know, they... They, uh, they're, they're scary. I'm with you. I think that they're going to be in there in the end. I, I, you know, you look at one of the possessions I saw, and it was just a perfect example of maryland was against the unc and you know they had the ball for at least 90 seconds the stall warning went up and then they took 20 seconds off the stall war- uh, from you know the shot clock right and then rambo ran across the top and buried it low corner and 
they scored and they put I think they put him up 10-7 or something like that yeah. or 10-6. I mean, I looked at that possession and I could tell it was over. The game was over. It didn't matter. It was just they were controlling every single minute part of the game right. that even though the score was 11-8, UNC had no chance of winning that game. It was incredible. And I, from a coach's perspective, and I know from a fan's perspective, sure, it's not, they're, it's not a 14-13 game you're going to get out of Maryland. But I just love their ability to take 18- to 22-year-old kids and say, this is the way we're going to do it, and them buying into it. And yeah. having guys like Rambo who are fires, fire plugs in the offensive end. I mean, he should get the ball every single time. And he's giving up his opportunities. And then in the game, end of the game, and at the end of the year, midway through the season, he's finding himself all of a sudden having now three, four goals a game. And that's scary yeah. for any team playing Maryland coming up. Yeah, and, it's, and, it, and it speaks uh, very positively about him as a leader. Yes. Uh, you know, to be able to embrace that style of play. And let's face it, it is going to be at the expense of points, which ultimately are at the expense of All-American votes. And as I said a few podcasts ago, he's not going to be voted first-team All-American. And, you know, but if you put him on a team that played faster – he would probably be a first-team All-American. I mean, I think that's I think that's the fact. So you got to commend him for being a leader within a system that doesn't allow him the opportunity to get the same amount of points as other premier attackmen in the country. I agree completely. Next group are the three lost teams. Uh, we're back to Hopkins, who's number nine, three lost mm-hmm. team at number nine in the top ten. Loyola at sixteen, Penn State at eighteen. What are your thoughts on this grouping? Uh, to me, this is this is pretty easy. I think that, um, you know, just based on their body of work, I think you have to put JHU first. Now, granted, they did lose to Loyola head-to-head. Uh, it was a very – I think it was an overtime game, 9-8. Yeah. Um, you know, and normally I would say, look, if a team beats them head-to-head, they've got them. But when you compare total body of work, uh, JHU has beaten number 14 Navy, number 8 Towson, number seven, Syracuse. And, you know, they have losses to number 16, Loyola head-to-head, and number 17, Carolina, and ugly, unranked Virginia this past weekend. Right. Uh, but, but so they've got three quality wins and, you know, only one sort of bad loss as defined by an unranked opponent. Loyola has a head-to-head win over Hopkins, which makes it hard to, you know, put them behind it but then you look at who else they've beaten and they haven't beaten anybody else in the top 20 right right they have losses to Towson head-to-head same opponent as Hopkins they have losses to Navy also a common opponent with Johns Hopkins right and they got their doors blown off by Duke and I just feel that overall Hopkins body of work with three top 20 wins including beating two of the opponents that Loyola lost to justifies Hopkins being rated ahead of Loyola here. Uh, and then you've got Penn State. You know, obviously they have a win over previous number one, current number four, DU, Correct. which is a mammoth win. Huge. And they've been playing better lately, but they did lose to number six, Villanova, number 19, UMass, just I think two weeks ago, um, you know, which was shocking. And right. most importantly, they have a bad loss to unranked Penn that I think is has been unfairly left out of the top 20, which we'll talk about later. Yep. Um, could actually argue that there's another even more deserving team ahead of them in the top 20, but technically Penn being unranked defines a bad loss for sure. PSU. The other teams don't have that, so I got in order, JHU, Loyola, and Penn State to follow. 
Yeah, I mean, Hopkins is a fighting team right now. I mean, they have a great schedule. I mean, in terms of great, I'm talking, you know, they, they face a lot of great teams. Um, you know, certainly a team that's lost their two, not necessarily best players, but certainly you could argue top three players um, and certainly losing their coach for the last couple of games. Um, you know, they're a team that's up and down, up and down, up and down, but they're doing a good job considering what they've lost and what they have. Um, you know, you look at Penn State, uh, it's a team that has two losses at two of the most important parts of the game in its face-off and goalie goaltending um, because they've been non-existent in the goal for more or less obvious reasons in losing their starting goaltender this past summer. Um, and certainly at the face-off acts with injuries. You know, we mentioned earlier in the year, where's where's Penn State been at the face-off acts? And we didn't really know that injuries were playing a role, uh, but it has been. And they just haven't been able to get anything going. But for them to gut that one out and to win it for a lot of different reasons, you got to think that team morale is finally up. You got to think that a young crew uh, from Penn State is starting to think that, hey, we can do this without those guys, which is positive to think as a coach. Mm-hmm. And going into the Big Ten, uh, you know, league play, this is, that's a huge, huge win for Penn State. Um, and certainly, hopefully, it finds you know that you know they're going to do a lot better, uh, especially a team like you know. I don't know if you watched the interview uh, with Tambo at the end, but. You know, seeing yeah, a did. tough, a tough guy like him kind of get emotional because I can yeah. only imagine what going home every day, you know, s- handling the emotions of, you know, 20 to 23 year old kids every single day, you know, once you're up and then you're down and then you got to get them back up again and then they're back up and then they're right back down. God, it's such a tough situation to be in for Tambo, but there's probably no better coach in the country to be able to handle that situation than Jeff Tambrone. Yeah, he's, he's clearly clearly one of the best, no question. Last group, uh, before we get to the ins- uh, outside looking in, are the four lost teams. Duke, the number 11. A four lost team at number 11. UNC, number 17. And UMass, number 19. What are your thoughts here, AT? Uh, t- to me, this is, uh, you know, this is a tricky group here, and we're going to find out more with Duke and Carolina going head-to-head this Friday night on ESPNU, I believe it is. Yep. Uh, for, for me, I'm looking at the body of work, and I see Duke with wins over, you know, number 16, Loyola, killing them. An unbelievable game for the viewers this past weekend against Syracuse. Yes. Uh, so they got wins over number 16, Loyola, number, uh, number 7, Syracuse, and then they got a loss to DU, which was close. Obviously not a bad loss, as good a loss as you could possibly have. Correct. But they do have two uninspiring losses to unranked opponents, Harvard and Richmond. You know, but they have two you know, pretty pretty good wins, particularly one against Syracuse. Then you've got UMass, who has beaten Carolina head-to-head. And so they have two wins over number 17, Carolina, and number 18, Penn State. They have, you know, a loss to Brown, which is not a bad loss. They have a loss to Albany, not a bad loss, although both of those games they got absolutely Shellacked. demolished. Yeah. And that was in the same week. Uh, but, you know, credit Greg Canella for you know, re-inspiring them and having them come back and beat Carolina that following weekend, which, you know, you alluded to when you were speaking about Tambo. Uh, And they've lost to number 15, Army, first game of the year. Uh, They only have one bad loss, as defined by a team outside the top 20. That's Harvard. Um, But they don't have quite as good a win as Syracuse, like Duke. So I've got Duke 
ranked first ahead of these three. Uh, and then I've got UMass simply because they have a win head-to-head over Carolina. Yes. And then you look at Carolina's body of work, and they only have one top 20 win, which was against number nine Hopkins, which is you know better than UMass's two top 20 wins, but still only one versus two. And then they you know have lost to DU, not a bad loss. Maryland, not a bad loss. Uh, you know, but really it comes down to UMass beating North Carolina head-to-head, which is why I have them rated ahead of UNC. They also have an unranked loss to Hofstra, which cancels out UMass's loss to Harvard. Uh, but I just, I, I've got Duke, then UMass, because they had to have victory over Carolina and then Carolina. It's a great, uh, I like that again. Um, you know, just, just breaking it down on based on who, who, what your wins and losses are. Um, a lot like Syracuse, I just don't know what this Duke team is about. You know, me neither. I, I, you still have to question Duke. You know, again, their wins are against Cuse and Loyola, losses against Denver, Harvard, Richmond, Air Force. Now you could also put Air Force into that because the only reason why Air Force is probably in the top twenty is because they beat Duke, right? Um, so mm-hmm. you know, uh, the year-to-date stats are very bloated because the huge wins over not good teams. Um, they've got three guys. First off, they played 11 games, but they've got three guys in the 40-plus point range. Three. Denver, Notre Dame doesn't even have a 30-point score. I mean, Denver Denver doesn't have a 40-point guy. Notre Dame doesn't even have a guy in the 30-point scoring, although we just talked about how they're how they're such a bad shooting team right now. And even Brown doesn't. Now, granted, all those, all those teams don't have, or Brown doesn't have, only has six games. So, you know, compared to 11. But, you know, the only thing I can actually say for Duke is that 61% of the year at the faceoff off is definitely going to shine. And it's probably the reason why Duke is still in games a lot. But you can't rely, and I'm going to go back to this, you know, over and over again. You can't rely on Deemer Glass scoring seven, eight goals a game. It's just... You can't if they play Syracuse every game. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can. Um, you know, but even then... God, you could have thought that Syracuse, you know, blew a couple opportunities to just wrap the game up, right? But unless you have a strong attack that's going to lead this team, you're not going to win a national championship, certainly like they did three times. I agree. And it's really tough. And they've got great midfielders. I mean, Demer class, I've always been a fan of Demer. And they got the best midfield group in the country. They, arguably, they do. And, and they just won't get it done. And you're going to lose weird games, like against Air Force. You're going to lose weird games against Richmond. Um, you know, but in terms of, and certainly against Harvard, where Harvard has a great attack, um, you know, so it, it's they interesting do. to see where Duke falls and certainly against, you know, much like Syracuse, I'm just not sure what I'm looking at when I look at a Duke and Syracuse team. Um, I mean, Duke could, Duke could end up winning the rest of their games and they could also end up spacing out and not making the playoffs. I mean, right. you just don't know who they are. Right. I mean, we you really don't know who they we are. We talked about it off air. I mean, is, is the ACC going to get four teams? They certainly won't get five. I don't think they'll get five. No way. But are they going to get four teams in? That's a huge question mark. Who are they? They're getting two. They're definitely getting you know, two. They're going to get two. They're definitely going to get two. But, yeah. you know, I think they'll get three just because of the ACC, and that's what they wear on their chest. So they'll get three. But are they going to get four? Um, it's really, really know, interesting. Um, right now I would have, I would have Carolina and Virginia being out. I mean, Virginia definitely, but Virginia had a good win this weekend. Right. You know, right when you, here it is, Tom again with the golf. <laughs> it's like you, you, you know, they, they don't get it done. And then all of a sudden they beat Hopkins, who was, you know, probably the hottest 
of the best teams out there that play a brutal schedule week in, week out. So, right. again, you never know what's going to happen. All right, let's talk about the outside looking in real quick. Uh, we got Hofstra, yep. UVA, Richmond, Penn, Harvard, Marquette, and Rutgers. Um, you know, you mentioned Penn earlier. Uh, Penn obviously being one of the teams that you think should be in the top 20. Uh, but who else should you think would be in the top 20? Uh, I mean, clearly the most deserving team out of this group is a no-brainer. It's Harvard. You know, they've got a win, top 20 wins over 19 UMass, over number six, Villanova, and over number 11, Duke. <laughs> right. They've got losses to Brown, not a bad loss, to Penn State, now no longer a bad loss, right. to BU, ranked number 20, technically not a bad loss. The only bad loss is Bryant, but they've got three top 20 wins, including a win over number six, Villanova. Right. Right? And so clearly, they are the best of this group. Now, they haven't played well. I think their win over Dartmouth was, you know, the first win in the last five games. You know, they started with Bryant and, you know, have kind of underachieved all the way through, you know, up until they played Dartmouth. And obviously that was a role job, um, you know, but but I, I, Harvard is clearly a team that has an argument over, you know, some of these other programs at the, you know, at the bottom of the top 20 list. So they would be the first team, you know, uh on the outside looking in behind them, you know, I'm, I'm torn uh, normally I, I would say uh, it's probably Penn here simply because Penn has beaten Penn state head to head. So Penn is a win over number 18 Penn state and uh, you know, but, but a loss to number six Villanova and a bad loss to unranked Virginia who just beat, you know, Hopkins. So, I, you know, I, I could also say that maybe Virginia is in there ahead of Penn. Look, they beat Penn head-to-head. And, you know, but but unfortunately Virginia has, you know, two bad losses to unranked High Point and unranked Cornell, where Penn only has one bad loss to unranked Virginia, which is head-to-head. So those teams are, are really close. But I think that, uh, you know, Harvard is clearly the team that's ahead of them, uh, justifiably so. And then behind them, you've got, you know, Hofstra with a win against Carolina, but losses to Stony Brook, an unranked PC, and 1-8 and Georgetown. So they're not worthy of, of anything, in my opinion, except for their win against Carolina, which is the first game of the year. You've got Richmond, who has a great win over Duke, but losses to Carolina, and unranked Marquette. Right. Rutgers has a win over 15 Army, but losses to Stony Brook and unranked Princeton. And then you've got Marquette, no top 20 wins, a win over Richmond, but a bad loss to unranked OSU. So, you know, Harvard, to me, is, is, is far and away the most deserving of a top 20 slot here, followed closely by Penn and Virginia. You can flip-flop any way you want to look at it. And then there's a major drop off, in my opinion, right. before the next group. It's almost the rest. Hofstra, Richmond, it's almost the rest Rutgers of the country. You can almost put the rest. That's of the right. Country in there. That's right. That's um, right. But uh, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, I, I'm not a believer in Penn. I do think that Harvard is scary. I, I do wish that Harvard could fix their faceoff issues uh, to get them more consistent. I mean, they're, possessions. they're mutilated by injuries, though. Too. Let's face it. Chihelka hasn't been in the lineup in a long time. Yeah. You know, uh, who's the, who's the strength conditioning coach up there? Because. Right. 
every single year. Are they hiring the Dartmouth strength and coaching conditioning coach that leaves after six months? Every it's so true. Every six months for for the last twenty five years because the only other team that seems like they get beat up as badly as Dartmouth has is Harvard. Every year right. they're beat up right. with all of that money. You can't just just pay the guys and get it done right. because if Harvard stays healthy, Harvard's going to be a threat to play. And but they seemingly can never. Stay healthy. What the hell is it? Yeah, I know. That's actually a great point. I mean, so many athletic departments don't realize that your strength and conditioning department, not your training department, is the number one reason to keep kids on the field at all times. times. Right. Um, And they just don't see that. When we come back, we're going to finish off the show with hashtag AskTowers. We'll be right back. We're back with hashtag Ask Towers. Uh, we have two questions for you, Andy. Uh, okay. One is from our guy at Jim Fenzel. If you haven't already yeah. checked him out and checked out his follow him on Twitter, he's awesome. He's got some great artwork. He does a lot of logos. Uh, he does a lot of work in lacrosse logos, putting the logos with lacrosse. It's awesome stuff. He's also got a website uh, at Jim Fenzel. Uh, if so, you can see his website too. I believe it's jimfenzelart.com. He was also the one to do our logo for our podcast, so we can't thank him enough for all the work that he's done for us. But he asked, how does this year's Ivy League compare to the Ivy League of the 1990s? Uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's very, very similar. You know, in the 1990, we had, or the 1990s, you know, the top teams, at least in the, in the first part of the decade, uh, the top teams were Yale with John Reese. And Mike Babcock and their, you know, Mike Waldvogel Hall of Fame coach, uh, Harvard with their loaded roster and Brown with our roster. You know, uh, Yale and Harvard were a year or two older than we were at Brown. And Yale had won the Ivy Championship, I think, three straight years from 88, 89, and 90. And then we all tied... Actually, my sophomore year, no. No, I think Harvard and Yale tied for the league championship in 1990. And then in 91, we won. But I think that I think the league is very similar. You know, I think that it's great to see different teams come up. Certainly Cornell and Princeton have showed their supreme dominance for, you know, the last 10 years and, and Princeton even farther back than that. So it's great to see some new teams in the league, push to have success, and I, I got to be honest, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that Penn isn't, you know, approaching that group as well. Now they're only five and two; they're not seven and zero oh and six and zero oh like Yale and Brown, but they're a scary team. I mean, they just dismantled Princeton, and Yale just beat them by a goal, and Yale beat them before twenty to ten, and it wasn't even that close. And Yale got up on Cornell this, or I'm sorry, Penn got up on Cornell this weekend six one, and, and more or less coasted. Uh, granted, they were playing at home. But I, I, I think we're going to find out a lot about Penn coming up here, too. And I'm not so sure that they aren't going to be in the mix, you know, at the end here as well. So uh, it's very, it's very, very similar. No question about it. Not to mention that, Love you know, it. back in the early 90s at the time, you know, Yale was ranked two. We were ranked three. Uh, Harvard, I think, was ranked like seven. 
Uh, and then this year, obviously, Yale is, is Yale and Brown are ranked, you know, again, one and three in this week's poll, so they're right there. The next Ivy team is, is Harvard, and they are currently out of the top 20, but, you know, uh, have some big wins, and I think actually have an argument to be in the top 20 as we covered. Given the parity, too, you could argue that today's game is a lot harder to be in that top 20, uh, top no 10, question. top 15. No question about it. Than it was back in the 90s. So uh, definitely interesting to compare one to the other. The second hashtag, I don't even know how to answer this, man, or ask this to you. Uh, but apparently uh, during timeouts when Dom used to talk to you guys, you used to do something to your teammates that often often got them to maybe – jump and not understand what was going on maybe it was a water bottle getting squirted on their cleats or <laughs> or it could have been some other vehicle to putting quote-unquote water on somebody's cleats yeah well um the, providence for the seven years that i was in college there um had uh very very poor weather ryan it was pretty much rainy every single day and when it wasn't rainy it was uh, thinking about raining, and or it had just gotten done raining, <laughs> and so you could rain. get away with this. We had water bottles that Joe Castro used to bring up on the roof, and keeping them cold was not a priority. So uh, the water would become lukewarm, and sure enough, um, what I found out and discovered was that if you if you peed on somebody's leg when it was raining, and they were listening to Dom <laughs> speak, they wouldn't think it was anything other than rain, and so. That became something that, uh, you know, was uh, a very strong source of entertainment for somebody that took seven years to graduate from an Ivy League school. So uh, I think that's... <laughs> How long did it take them before you realize, before they realized that... Well, what happened, would start to happen is Tom would say, bring it in and circle it up, and there would be a half circle, and then there would be me. That's eventually what happened. <laughs> 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 so everyone literally would huddle up, and it was around. That is incredible. They were all avoiding you. They like that before the time had even started. They were looking slight, for you. Maybe a slight exaggeration, but uh, certainly that theme was in play. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe it. So there's an Andy Tower story for you all. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a little bit more funny background to some of that, but you're gonna have to ask him in person. That's all we have for the show today. As always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Lax. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy. Hey, Villanova Brown coming up uh, tomorrow night. It's gonna be a big, big one. one. Probably the biggest game of the Let's year. Go, Brown. Um, so check that one out. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the rest of this midweek game. We'll be back before the weekend. Have a great one. Thanks a lot.